Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. And thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day on this Good Friday as we look ahead to the big Easter weekend. And we hope it's a very happy Easter for you. Coming up on our program today, we're going to talk with Pat Wolf with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Take a look at these tax proposals that are out there, some in conjunction with uh, various spending plans, but how these tax proposals could impact you and could impact agriculture, anywhere from uh, changing the estate tax to stepped-up basis, corporate tax rates, things like that. We're going to talk with Pat Wolf about all that coming up a little bit later on. We're still getting reaction to the explosive planning intentions report and stocks numbers out this week from USDA. Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst with Robo AgriFinance, will be joining us to share his thoughts on that. And I'll have some thoughts at the end of the program uh, looking at the infrastructure proposal and paying for it and other government spending programs. That's coming up a little bit later on. But let's start things off today with the CEO of Kansas Wheat, Justin Gilpin, joins us. Justin, good to talk with you again. You and I have been talking for weeks now about what the wheat acres might look like um, based on commodity prices for other crops. Would that take away wheat acres uh, when, uh, you know, farmers are thinking about uh, spring plantings? So the number came out for wheat acres at 46.4 million, up 5%. What did you think of that? I think it was probably pretty much in line with what we were talking about, Mike. You know, uh, probably one of the bigger jumps that we saw in the Southern Plains uh, was that increase in sorghum. You know, we've been talking about how that mm-hmm. sorghum had had such a high basis level uh, that it's almost a dollar premium to corn here in the Southern Plains. And it was probably, we knew those sorghum acres were going to be up and take away some of the corn, corn acres, but uh, to see that number be as up 20% year on year at 3.6 million sorghum makers in Kansas, that that's probably the number that really stood out to me, Mike. Uh, wheat stocks 1.31 billion down 7%. Did that surprise you? Well, you know, it's still still trying to factor in that feeding number, um, and I think that number probably can go even lower. If you think about those reports, how they came in this week, Mike, it it was really a bearish report for wheat. Uh, I think the stocks report was higher than what we thought. I, you know, the acreage number was probably higher than what a lot of market participants thought, but it was just so explosively higher just, uh, that that day after the report because of the surprise with the corn and soybean acres. But if you think about those wheat reports, how things might get adjusted here in the months to come, and where it comes to the June report, uh, but, you know, you you can really pencil in how we might actually have friendlier reports going in because like that stocks number was so high uh if we do if they do start to factor in this higher feeding that is going on there's certainly a lot of more hard red winter wheat that's going into feed rations that i don't think that stocks report took into into account uh but uh, i think there's there could be some friendliness to come with the wheat reports after even though uh this week's reports weren't 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 what we were expecting necessarily for wheat mike Mm -hmm. Yeah, we heard a lot about that yesterday, talking with analysts about um, more wheat being used for feeding. Uh, do you agree with that? Oh, it's absolutely happening. And and uh, I think when uh, uh, just when you saw that price relationship with corn, 
and now knowing that uh, the market's going to really try to, uh, uh, whether through futures or through basis, is going to try to incentivize and maybe even try to ration corn in some in some instances. Uh, you know, wheat wheat is actually at a discount in Southwest Kansas and in the Texas Panhandle. Uh, so when you think about 120 million right now being factored in and seed by the USDA, if that goes up to 100. 50 million or 175 million that becomes pretty significant drawdown in those stocks um yeah and right now with the sorghum uh, there's a strong pull for sorghum to go up for export uh so you have no sorghum going into fee or into the ethanol plant so it's really kind of a wheat and corn type game and with these strong levels we're seeing the run up in price on corn uh feed is the uh, wheat for feed is certainly going to happen over the next three months all right, let's switch from what may happen with spring wheat plantings to what is happening with the condition of the winter wheat crop. Uh, what are we seeing right now? Well, it certainly has improved. Uh, things are warmed up and then things are uh, greening up and really starting to take off growing. Kansas had one of the wettest marches on on record, uh, and uh, that's exactly what we needed because it's been such a roller coaster ride of this winter wheat crop. We had dry conditions that, that we wrapped up planting last fall. Uh, didn't have a real good emergence as we got it uh, came through the winter. Then as we began to break dorm, you know, right before we broke dormancy, we had that record cold snap in February that there caused all that uncertainty about potential winter kill. But then the rains came, and, and boy, the crop really has responded to it with that. Uh, so we've got uh, crop conditions have improved from uh, they were about 33% good to excellent as we broke dormant as we were coming out of the winter. Uh, to this last week at 50% good to excellent, just really showing that response that the crop has had to that moisture. You know, next week will be the first uh, all all U.S. hard red winter wheat crop conditions report for the, be the first time the market gets to see not just the southern plains but the, the northern plains as well. And it, uh, I think most people still anticipate to see that uh, Kansas number to maybe even increase a little bit more on the good to excellent, just because things really started to take off. But the crop isn't made, Mike. We're going to need uh, we're going to need some rain here uh, here for April, May to finish this crop off. And even though we had good wet conditions in March, uh, we've actually starting off April here pretty hot and dry. So uh, it's something to keep an eye on, and certainly keep an eye on all the dryness that we're seeing up in the Dakotas. Yep, keep a close watch on that. But I know uh, there there are those rare exceptions. But for the most part, anytime you get rain, anytime you get moisture in Kansas, that's usually a good thing. Yeah, certain, certainly, especially when you and I talked right there and after that uh, cold snap in February, Mike, we were talking about what is the potential for winter till. We knew that there was a very good establishment because of the dryness going into the winter. Uh, we couldn't ask for better uh, moisture conditions throughout the month of March. There was good, slow, soaking rains that the crop really has responded well from. And so it, it certainly puts us in a good good position as we start to, uh, start to go into a really key growing period to finish this wheat crop out. But Certainly, going to need uh, need some some moisture and favorable temperatures to to finish it out. And you know, uh, we're going to be doing the hard red winter wheat tour this year back in person. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the crop scouts see uh, in May, and look forward to reporting that to you, Mike. Yep, looking forward to checking in with you from that tour. And uh, yeah, good. Anytime you get those in person events back, that's a good thing too, right? Oh yeah, you know, last year we had to do a virtual wheat tour, and it was. It certainly was it was missed. Uh, you know, we ended up doing it a little bit later. Typically, that hard red winter wheat tour always tries to come out that first week in, in May. Uh, the 
to be that number that comes out before that first USDA May crop production number. Uh, this year, you know, last year we did the virtual wheat tour about the third week in May. Uh, so this year uh, we are going to stick with that and do it later. So even though there already will be a USDA number out, uh, I do think it gives the crop scouts a chance to see that crop a little bit further along mm-hmm. in maturity and probably a little bit better perspective on, on the, those crop, crops. Uh, very, yep, very good. Look forward to hearing about it. Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, I hope you and your listeners have a great uh, happy Easter weekend, Mike. Good to talk with you. You as well. Stay with us. This is AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. In your everyday business operations, there are endless things you can't control. Fuel prices don't have to be one of them. With the Average Price Contracting Program available at FS, we can provide you with a way to reduce the uncertainty of fluctuating fuel prices. It's a smart and convenient way for you to know what your fuel costs are going to be so that you can enjoy a little peace of mind. The Average Price Contracting Program at FS is just one more way that we can help take your business further. Contact your FS Energy Specialist today. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl. But with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon SpreadSense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. 
Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, everyone's still kind of catching their breath and uh, trying to figure out this last uh, report this week uh, from USDA on acres especially and also looking at the stocks numbers. Joining us now is Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst from Robo AgriFinance. All right, Steve, we went into this report working off the numbers 9290 for uh, how many million acres of corn and soybeans would be planted. Uh, no one, I don't think, would have been too surprised if the numbers had been higher than 92 and 90. But I don't think anybody bet the under that both would come in under those figures, corn 91 and, and soybeans 87. How surprised were you? Yeah, good morning, Mike. Well, I'm surprised this is what you want to talk about. I figured you want to talk about soil temperatures in western Illinois or unemployment this morning. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it was a bit surprising. I, I wasn't... Um, you know, I wasn't shocked at the corn number. I'll just be honest about that. It was a little bit below where I thought it would be, but it was—I will tell you—it was very well within the range of where, right, right where our ten-year baseline um, outlook had put it. So the corn number wasn't surprising. I think I was probably more surprised that maybe it was a little higher. Looking, thinking about, you know, where that corn to soybean ratio was. Also thinking about where corn prices were, yield potential, and how much field work was done last fall. So I think let's set aside corn, but. I was abs- I was surprised at the bean number as well. I, I mean, it's just it's too low um, to make the balance sheet work. I mean, the balance sheet now gets even tighter uh, when you look. We don't even know what this year will end up being, even though we found 30 million bushels of soybeans in the grain stocks number. But the fact is now you you've extended this tightness in the U.S. soybean balance sheet, assuming that's the number we end up with, you know, into at least next year, if not two years down the road. So that's that's the other thing. I think the other thing, though, that I was probably more surprised at was the total principal crop acres. They were 316 million and some change. And I'm thinking, and that's only about 6 million above last year. And you're thinking with the broad base of commodity prices that were, you know, cotton, sorghum, corn, soybeans, wheat, it, you know, numbers we hadn't, you know, prices we hadn't seen for, well, I hate to say a decade, but it wasn't quite that long, but we'll say six to seven years, and we didn't have more of an acreage response. It was sort of a head scratcher for me. So that was a number also. And, and the question, of course, then becomes, you know, where did all those acres go? And we can come back to that. But I think a couple things, when I look at that principal crop number and think about, you know, what's going on. And I, I would be curious, a kind of producer reaction to some of this. You know, I think one of the things, I went back and I looked at the commodity boom of the mid-2000s and say, okay, how – did we instantly react in acreage? And we didn't. It took us several years to get acres wrapped up. So that may be part of the issue is that, is that producers, and I guess kind of the second part of the response is, you know, producers can't, it's not like we're making a widget in a factory chain. We can up the line or increase the line speed or whatever, and we can produce more widgets. You know, we're dealing with an organic product and organic soil and all those sorts of things that we just can't turn on a dime and producers have, you know, rotations put in place and, you know, they may have pasture or they may have different, you know, CRP stuff, you know, whatever in place that, you know, you just can't turn on a dime. So, you know, that was the other, I think, the thing that surprised me initially. But looking back at it and thinking about it, maybe it does make sense. And, and finally, when we talked to producers all winter long, 
and said, okay, you're going to plant more corn or soybeans next year. And they go, oh, we'll do about what we did last year. So kind of fits, you know, it all kind of fits together. But it, but it was a surprise when you think about where prices were and also, you know, the expectation of trade. I mean, both corn and soybeans came at the bottom. I think there was one, I think there was one analyst on the soybean side that had a lower number than the USDA did. So, yeah, it was the trade mm-hmm. was really surprised. We're talking with Steve Nicholson with Rob Agri Finance. So um, I'm going to assume, though, especially with good, if there's good planting weather, that these numbers, yeah. uh, the farmers are going to plant more than these numbers. We'll see how much more. Uh, a lot of that may be uh, how much the market wants to buy some acres for a particular commodity. So what are you expecting there? Because uh, these are the numbers that the markets are going to work off of for a while. So yeah. will the markets go after what? corn or soybeans more to buy some acres? Yeah, I think the premise of your question is absolutely correct, is that the market now has to decide what acres does it need, and I think when you start, and I think that's part of the issue is people are trying to digest all this and think about, um, you know, what crop do we need? And I mean, you look at the balance sheets across the, across the board, it all comes back to soybeans. Um, we need more soybeans because we can't, we know that the lowest stocks number we've ever had was 92 million acres and that was in 14 or on uh yeah 14 the 14 or 13 14 crop year is what we ended on i think that's correct so we know that that's a kind of a minimal pipeline we can manage now can we manage lower than that we don't know the answer to that but i would guess that not much and so the market's job here is to figure out where do we need those markets like you say and i would think that soybeans we could see, and we did see that, of course, on you know Wednesday after you know Wednesday after the report, you know the market take off, and we we brought back about half of that. But I do think the market's job now is to buy some acres of beans because that's what we need. But as you said in the first party question, it all comes back to spring weather, and what is the spring weather? If it's good, as we always know, if it's good, and farmers are out there planting, um, you know they may plant a few more corn acres because they've got it all they're all set up ready to go. And Mother Nature looks good now, and Mother Nature looks good for the future. They say, well, i got plenty of time to put my beans in. Um, but we also know if it gets wet and we get a little delayed, uh, we could see a few more soybean acres. And so it, it always, you know, I was doing my kind of kind of looking at balance sheet scenarios on soybeans, it all comes down to Mother Nature, and it comes down to yield when it's all said and done. But the market's got to figure this out, and it's going to have to buy, I think, in my view, some some soybean acres to make that balance sheet a little less tight and a little less um, a little less you know onerous. With stocks this tight, it it'll put even more emphasis on the weather this growing season. Already, we, we're starting off with very dry conditions in the Dakotas. We'll see what happens across the Midwest, but. Uh, we know what happens when you get a weather issue during a growing season. That usually causes a, a, a spike in prices. But when it's this tight, it could be amplified, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, the only good news in that question is we have a lot of acres out there. So we do have some cushion if we have, um, you know, a problem. But the, the problem, is you, as you laid it out very well, is you look across the Corn Belt and everyone's talking about strike. I was talking to someone around Springfield, Illinois, yesterday. He said, how's your weather? He says, we're good. We have good soil moisture, but we can't afford a hiccup. And as you come west, those hiccups, you know, get a little smaller because a little smaller hiccup is going to make a bigger issue. I mean, it's central Iowa. I know they were digging uh, tile trenches last week, and there was no water in the bottom of the trench. And as you get farther west, 
you know, it just gets a little drier. Um, you know, we country got some rain the last couple of weeks, and they're feeling pretty good about that. But you get in northwest Kansas, you get in the panhandles, it's very dry. And so I think you're right. This is as tight as stocks as we have, particularly in soybeans. And even corn, which is getting tighter, I think, by the day, a weather issue just these markets explode because it's like, oh, we can't have that. We've got to, we've got to ration, the, you know, ration the supply we have left for the demand. Um, so it's, it's a really – it's going to be a market this year that's extremely explosive to the upside and downside, a lot of volatility. And at these levels, you just get more volatility. Meanwhile, uh, South America continues uh, with their soybean harvest. Looks like it's going to be a big crop. It's just taking longer than usual. Um, your thoughts on that and and the prospects of their safrina corn crop, which uh, their margin of error is kind of tied on that one too, isn't it? No, absolutely. And I think that's a great point. You know, the soybean crop's getting out. It's just slow. It's behind. And it's going to be a big crop. But the fact is it's not coming out very quickly just to lay the plant of that second corn crop. And, you know, they're still talking 102, 103 million metric ton corn crop in Brazil, which is about 6 million metric tons below. And in talking to my colleague in Sao Paulo last week, she said to me, she said, so you're saying to me that you're not going to see that Brazilian second corn crop or the Supreme crop until late July. And she says, that's right. Typically, you would see that 30 days earlier. So that just keeps that window open longer for U.S. corn exports out the door. And, and we've seen that the last several weeks um, of, you know, good export inspections on corn. So that's going to be supportive to prices as well. And, you know, again, it goes back to your previous question about weather. If we have any weather scare here in the States, if it's, if it's dry all the way through planting, which is a good thing in some ways, but then we get into June and it's dry and we get to 4th of July and it's still dry, the corn, the corn market and the bean market are going to be a lot, going to be you know pretty volatile to the upside because of concern about supply and production. Could be a wild ride indeed. Steve, thanks a lot. We'll be talking with you throughout, and uh, have a happy Easter. Thank you. Happy Easter to you and everybody. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you as always. All right. Take care. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Robo AgriFinance. We're going to talk taxes next, proposals concerning a state tax, step-up basis, and much more. How are they going to pay for all these government spending programs? We'll talk with Pat Wolf with the American Farm Bureau Federation next on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front-row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. 
You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. The Board of Trade today is closed due to the Good Friday holiday. USDA's lower-than-expected planting estimates were still offering support to new crop prices yesterday, but old crop prices fell back from Wednesday's limit-up moves for yesterday's prices. On the Board of Trade on Thursday, May corn ended four and a half cent higher at 5.59 and three quarters. May soybeans ended 34 and three quarters lower at 14.02 for soybeans. The Chicago wheat May contract ended seven cents lower at 6.11. Kansas City wheat May down 10 and three quarters at 5.65. Minneapolis spring wheat May down 11 and a fraction at 5.99 and a half cent. Lean hog futures led the gains for the livestock market on Thursday, boosted by a massive weekly export sales report and consistent willingness from pork consumers to meet ever high price tags. This is true for beef consumers too, and although live cattle and feeder cattle futures ended the day mix, these markets remain bullishly supported. Hog prices closed higher in the National Direct Afternoon Hog Report, up $1.05 with a weighted average of 96.70 on 5,500 head. This week's cash cattle trade had not been fully figured out on Thursday afternoon, although some cattle traded in the south at $117, which was $2 higher than last week's weighted averages. Looking at Thursday's livestock numbers, the April lean hog contract ended 72 cents higher at 101.77. April feeder cattle ended unchanged at 143.87. April live cattle ended 95 cents lower at 120.02. Cattle future prices had more of a wobble alongside volatility in the feed grain markets. The outside markets on Thursday ended mostly higher. The Dow Jones up 171 points. The Nasdaq Composite up 233. The S&P 500 up 46. Crude oil in New York down 21 cents at 61.24 per barrel. I'm Kirsten Rall. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to separate. First, use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Raw meat should never touch food that won't be cooked. Then, always keep raw meat, poultry, seafood, and their juices away from other foods in the shopping cart. And store raw meat, poultry, and seafood in a container or on a plate in the fridge so juices won't drip on other foods. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So the government is sending out a lot of checks, spending a lot of money. Uh, That's popular when you're getting checks in the mail or deposited in your account. But at some point, all that has to be paid for. Um, There are several proposals out there when it comes to taxes. Some associated with one particular plan, another proposed for something else. But in the end... Um, all these things are going to be decided on, and in one way or another, all the spending has to be 
paid for. So we're going to talk about some of these tax proposals that are out there and uh, what they mean for agriculture in particular, as we're joined now by Pat Wolf, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Pat, thank you for joining us. I'm glad to be with you. All right, let's uh, let's kind of go through some of these proposals that are out there, and um, one of those being the corporate tax rate, which uh, the Biden administration proposes increasing from 21% to 28%. And I think I heard the president say the other day that, you know, that because it was, what, in the 30s and then it dropped to 21, he seems to think 28 is a good landing point in the middle. Um, but they also talking about shrinking the 20% qualified business income deduction, which is used by a lot of farms and small businesses. So let's talk about this proposal, increasing the corporate tax rate. Uh, what would the impact be on agriculture? Well, we have to start by saying there has been one spending bill proposed already. That's the uh, infrastructure bill that would uh pay for roads, bridges, other things you can build. And then there's going to be a second infrastructure spending bill introduced, which is being called hum- the human infrastructure bill that will go to support uh, programs that make um, benefits, give benefits to individuals and families. Okay, so there's two big spending bills um, expected in Congress, one introduced, one we think in the next month or so. And both of those uh, have tax increases attached to them uh, to pay for the spending. Uh, the bill that was introduced this week, the Road Bridges Infrastructure Bill, was paid for by an increase in the corporate tax rate. And you were right, the proposal is to go up to 28%. Now, when you look at the way that farms and ranches do business, uh, most farms and ranches are not C-Corps. They're not incorporated. Uh, there's maybe less than 5% of uh, farms that are organized that way. So for the 5% of the farms who are organized as C-Corp, this would be a huge increase on their taxes. For the rest of the farms that pay taxes using the individual tax rates, there's some really scary things proposed that we believe will show up on the second spending bill on the human infrastructure package. Okay, let's get into some of the things that have been talked about. That is repealing the step-up basis and uh, uh, really changing the estate tax, or as many call it, the death tax, yeah. and making some big changes there. Now, these are these are strong issues for agriculture. Agriculture's kind of drawn a line in the sand on on these many in many ways. Uh, tell us about what's being proposed here and the impact that would have on agriculture. Well, the first thing that we know about is a second tax at death. Okay, so we already have estate taxes. Uh, this week there was a idea rolled out, legislation rolled out to create a second tax at death. And this second tax would be a capital gains tax. Uh, the way it would work is that uh, the step-up basis is repealed. So the, what the step-up basis does is it allows uh, you to defer capital gains taxes, the heir, the person receiving the farm, to defer the capital gains taxes up until a point that they would sell the property. So if they never sold the property, capital gains wouldn't be due. 
when they sold it out of the business, you'd have to pay the capital gains tax. The proposal is to change that. So you would pay the capital gains tax on the appreciated value of the asset, the land, when a death occurred. So that's creating a new, huge second tax at death. Now, if that isn't uh, bad enough, that we're going to have two taxes at death instead of one, there's also talk of shrinking the estate tax exemption, the death tax exemption. Uh, Right now, a person who dies can pass $11 million of assets on to the next generation, on to the heirs, without paying estate tax. Uh, and there's talk of rolling that back, cutting it in half to five and a half uh, million dollars a person. So not only would be, there be this new capital gains tax at death, but more people would have to pay the estate taxes. And the top capital gains tax rate is 20 percent. The top estate tax rate is 40 percent. So um, if this would happen, uh, the government would be collecting over half, taking over half of the estate uh, that's over the exemption levels. This has been fought over for many years and many times. And I remember the last time this was addressed, many breathed a sigh of relief saying, well, okay, we've, we, we're, we've put that to bed now for, for the foreseeable future. But I remember thinking at the time, that's never really put to bed because it can come back, and here it is back again. Yes, I mean, Congress can, even when Congress passes permanent laws, uh, they can always come back and change them. And unfortunately, the estate tax exemption is temporary law. That $11 million is temporary law. It's set to uh, roll back in 2026. Now people want to do that even sooner and then create this this new capital gains tax at death. It's uh, it's very scary for any farm or ranch that's uh, trying to transfer to the next generation. Um, but you had mentioned earlier about the 20% uh, qualified business exemption. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is uh, a, a part of law. Again, it expires in 2026, but it's on the books until then. And what it does is it allows a non-incorporated business to exclude 20% of their business income from taxation. So if a farmer ranch made, um, for every dollar they made, or $100 they made, they made a dollar, they'd only pay tax on 80%. If they made $100, they only pay tax on $80. Um, That was created, this exclusion, this 20% exclusion of business income, was created to... um, provide parity or fairness between the non-incorporated business and the incorporated business. So we've already seen the proposals to raise taxes, tax rates on incorporated business and taking away or modifying this um, exclusion, this 20% exclusion for non-incorporated businesses is the way that you increase taxes on business. So when I say non-incorporated businesses, I'm talking about Farms who um, farm who farm as individuals as sole proprietors, farms that operate as partnerships, 
and farms that operate as um, subchapter F corporations. And when you look at those three categories, uh, you're talking about over 90% of uh, farms and ranches in this country. Safe to say, agriculture is going to push back hard on some of these proposals, and they won't be alone. There'll be others fighting against them as well. Right. These aren't these proposals that I'm talking about. Don't just impact farmers; they impact any um, family business. So there is a, a huge group coalition uh, working to try to prevent these things from happening. Yeah, you always kind of beware when these proposals are out there for spending plans and they start talking about, oh, we'll pay for it over 10 years, over 15 years or whatever. Well, what happens is they count on you kind of forgetting about it over that course of that time and, and, and you get used to a tax. But these are the kind of taxes that put you out of business. You're not going to get used to them. No, and these tax code changes, uh, they would be permanent, while as the spending is short-term. No, you raise money from the taxes, you spend it for the projects. Projects are complete, but the taxes go on uh, until Congress changes them. So, uh, yes, there's there's anything that looks temporary usually turns into permanent. That's a good point. So, uh, as you say, these are proposals, but uh, we have to watch them closely because they are, uh, and they're kind of being floated out there to see what the reaction is. I'm expecting a strong reaction from agriculture. Right, and it's not uh, too soon for any any of your listeners to let their congressmen uh, know that they're opposed to these tax increases on businesses because it's a lot easier. None of this is going to be easier, but it will be easier to prevent them from getting into legislation than to try to get them out of a bill that's been introduced. So we have we do have uh, time now for people to call their representatives and their senators and speak out against increasing the state taxes, creating this new capital gains at death, and taking away the um, 20% business deduction. There's time to do that, and maybe we can uh, head it off so that the time so that there's no news i mean wouldn't it be great if they rolled out the next spending package and there was no news because uh we had been able to prevent these tax increases all right pat uh, we'll see what what happens here but this uh, as you said uh, we need to be uh, watching us closely and uh, speaking out thank you very much have a happy easter mm-hmm, you too Thanks. Pat Wolf with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Up next, I'll have some thoughts on these spending bills and paying the bills next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad? Your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. 
Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. How many acres are you keeping an eye on? Another pair of eyes could be very helpful in protecting your ROI, especially ones that are highly trained. And that's what you'll get with an FS Crop Specialist. They can spot issues you might not even know you have using the latest technology, including thermal, drone, and NDVI imaging. Then they can get an early treatment plan started. Contact your local FS Crop Specialist to learn more about our crop scouting services. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. 
Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, so we have all these spending proposals and tax proposals. You just heard about that from Pat Wolf with the American Farm Bureau Federation and which ones are attached to, you know, which tax plan is attached to a spending plan. That gets a little confusing after a while, but let's just kind of sort through this a little bit. President Biden has announced his $2 trillion infrastructure proposal, and it's already drawn mixed reviews. Along with containing several items that are not really infrastructure related, and that's a big issue, the other major concern is how to pay for it. Now, the president, in rolling out his plan, assured us that no one making under $400,000 would see their taxes go up. Instead, he says the bill will primarily be paid for by taxes on the rich. Now, this is a commonly used position when politicians of both parties try to sell a spending plan. It's a good selling point, quite, quite frankly, because most of us don't consider ourselves to be rich, at least in terms of money. It's always appealing to hear how we are going to benefit from something that someone else will have to pay for. But history and reality tell us that is rarely the case. We should all be aware of promises to tax the rich by those who can then decide who falls into that category. In other words, the government often considers us to be richer than we think we are. As is usually the case when this type of spending program is introduced, there is a promise of high-paying jobs to go along with it. That's always kind of the carrot that is dangled out there. Well, keep in mind those who lost their jobs when the Keystone XL Pipeline project was shut down, they're still waiting for those new jobs that they were promised. Now, for agriculture, this proposal will bring some very difficult decisions. There's no denying that our infrastructure needs attention. Roads, bridges, waterways, broadband are vital to agriculture and vital to rural America. And at first glance, this proposal, this infrastructure plan, sounds just like what agriculture has been asking for. Put money into these areas. But as the old saying goes, be careful what you wish for. The catch here is how the improvements will be paid for. Now, as we mentioned, there are talks going on now, proposals being rolled out about uh, rolling back the federal state estate tax exemption and eliminating the step-up basis for inherited assets. That may not be connected just with the infrastructure plan, but those things are out there, as we just talked about, and those would have quite an impact on agriculture. Agriculture in the past has always drawn a line in the sand on these particular tax issues, and we'll see if they continue to do so. But an even more immediate concern is the proposal to raise the corporate tax rate from 21 to 
and reduce the 20% qualified business income deduction used by many farms and small businesses. You see, this is where the definition of rich starts hitting closer to home. Not to mention that companies that see their taxes go up usually pass that increase on to their customers. So we may not pay a direct tax for some of these things, but there's a good chance we'll pay for it indirectly. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I hope the final bill on infrastructure is more targeted to actual infrastructure projects because I think there is great bipartisan support. More on this particular topic than almost anything else. This issue could get a lot of bipartisan support when you say, "Can let's improve roads and bridges and, and waterways and, and get broadband across the country. If, you could, if they would ever just target a bill on that, I think they have a very good chance of getting it passed. But, as I said before, this bill, as it's proposed now, has a lot of things that would be a stretch to say they are infrastructure related. So we'll see what happens as it makes its way through the Senate. But keep in mind, when one party is in control, there's a chance that it can be pushed through. So we will see. And then as we go on with these other tax proposals on estate taxes and step-up basis, as I said, it's going to really put agriculture in a tough spot. Will they again draw the line and say, no, we're not going to give in on those things? You know, we all pay for these things one way or another. And there's nothing wrong with if everyone benefits, then everyone should help pay. That, that, that approach I understand and makes sense. But here's, here's my caution. Don't think you're going to get something for nothing. As far as the non-infrastructure parts of this infrastructure plan, we need to ask ourselves, does the end justify the means? As is usually the case, though, the answer will always be in the eye of the beholder. But again, I just say caution here. I mean, it sounds good that we're finally maybe going to get something done to make these much-needed infrastructure improvements. We've been asking for these and calling for these for a long, long time, pointing out the need. But just be careful when they say we're going to do it by just taxing the rich and that won't touch you. It does. It always manages to get back to us in one way or the other. All right, that wraps it up for today and for the week. And as we go into the Easter weekend, I wish all of you a very happy Easter. And I, I tell you one thing I'm looking forward to is being back in church this Easter. Last Easter, our church was closed. Perhaps yours was as well. But this Easter, we're going to be in church. Uh, I know at our church, we'll be wearing masks and we'll be socially distanced, but at least we'll be back in church. So very happy about that and looking forward to that and hoping that you will be as well and having a very happy Easter with, with your family. And uh, we wish you the very, very best. Have a safe Easter, but um, again, a very happy one as well. Coming up next week, we're going to talk more about um, these tax plans and the infrastructure proposals. We'll get more into that. More reaction still, of course, uh, on the government the report uh, this, this past week and what they mean moving forward for the market. So much going on, some big things right now, and we'll keep you updated. And as we're getting past Easter, we'll look more and more about planting time, too. So lots to talk about. We'll be talking about it right here on AOA. Hope you join us as well. Be safe, everyone. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel.
Cinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.